We're so grateful for your unending love, your everlasting love, your pursuing love, your grace-based love that pursues us even in the midst of our sin. You died for us. You rose from the dead. You made a way to the Father for us, and you made a way to the throne room by your grace. So we celebrate your grace this morning. And as we share your word, we ask that it would open up our hearts again to all that you are in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, family. And uh, especially good morning to all those who are online who did not brave the cold today. Uh, in Waco, Texas, if it goes below 32, it's a, it's a major crisis. So uh, anyway, thank you everybody for being here and being family together again this morning. Um, hey, I'm going to do three things this morning. Take the first five minutes and share big vision. Everybody say big vision. And then the second thing for the next five minutes, I'm going to do invitation. Everybody say invitation. Boy, you guys aren't that excited about that. And then the rest of the time, 30 minutes or so, we're going to do the Word of God. Everybody say the Word of God. God. Say, I want Bible. All right. If you don't know what that means, ask your neighbor later. All right. So, hey, big vision is every year we seek God, not only as elders and as leaders in our community, but we extend that to many of you, and we literally field hundreds of inputs from so many people from uh, around our local church, but also our movement around the world, and we try to collate that and say, God, what are you saying to us as a people? And for 2024, we are clear that God is speaking to us to be a multi-generational family on mission. What a great word, right? Uh, That is the story of the whole Bible, by the way. Makes it a good word. A lot of supporting scriptures. You'll see a few up there. But over the year, we'll be unpacking that in a multitude of ways. For those who've been with us the last few years, you know we've been on a journey since 2020. We've got our big arc up there. In 2020, we got on our faces and said, oh God, speak to us. We need to hear you. And God began to unfold five years of relaying foundations to realign and reclarify who we are is what we call an apostolic and prophetic people. All that simply means a missional people who listen to God. Anybody want to be that? <laughs> Lord, would you align us to be a missional people who listen to your voice? And out of that, God began to do some building blocks. Year one, he told us to, to be a people of surrender. That fancy word conscription just means given to the Lord, to be pruned and, and surrendered to God. The next year was all about worship and prayer and intercession, being back at the heart of who we are. Last year, we leaned into unity to be a people of the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We'd be a people of union, communion and partnership. Maybe you remember those words. And this year is to be a multi-generational family on mission. Now again, all of these uh, terms and all of these different things that God's spoken to us, of course, are uh, very appropriate again today. Today, we need to surrender to the Lord. Today, we need to be people of worship and prayer and of unity. All these building blocks, there are seasons and times in all of our lives individually in uh, local churches, and in the body of Christ at large, where God's emphasizing it's time to lean into this truth or turn the dial up. And for us as a people, it's time to lean into the truth to be a multi-generational family on mission. And we'll be unpacking that again in the, uh, throughout the year in a multitude of ways. 
So uh, just a little reminder of uh, be, us being a multi-generational family on mission, a little uh, overview from last year. Last year, we saw hundreds of people come to Jesus. Um, every service, and that is uh, the absolute truth, every service, people make commitments to follow Jesus. We know that from people going over to the connect room and letting us know or communicating back online that they've responded to the gospel. And if you're hearing the sound of my voice, today is the day of salvation. And we experience that in hundreds of ways. And so we've been so blessed as hundreds of people have given their lives to Jesus in this last year. Out of that, we encourage people in obedience to be baptized. We know of at least 250 baptisms. I'm sure there's many more. But in one day in May, we baptized 129 people. We'll be doing that again this May. So we are grateful um, and thankful for all that God's done. Well, being a multi-generational family on mission, we also had over 150 people we sent out around the nations this summer, and that does not count the, about the same amount that have gone out in, throughout the year. So we've been training and sending people to reach the nations for Jesus. And then, but probably one of our greatest places of growth is in our nursery. Uh, last year, we dedicated over 50 children to the Lord, and uh, that's just 50 dedications. That's definitely not births around here. So when the scripture says, go, bear fruit, and multiply, we have been obedient to that. We have honored that as a community, and we continue to experience the grace of God with that, and we are so grateful. So Laura and I and our extended family, we wanted to do our part to be a multi-generational family on mission. So our daughter Lauren had a baby on January 5th. There's our little Eden Grace. And I think we got the little family pic of them together. There's the little family uh, of five, the Lane family. And so we are so grateful to be a part of a multi-generational family on mission, not just in our nuclear family, but in this church family and the movement of churches that we get to be involved in around the world. So it's going to be a beautiful year because each of those things are deep, have deep meaning throughout the scriptures. And the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue on this consecration of heart. I'm going to share some from the word uh, in just a moment. But um, we're going to be unpacking, beginning the series uh, right after World Mandate. And um, we're so looking forward to all that God's going to do. All right. In light of that, I've, there's my five minutes of vision. Now, my second five minutes is invitation. Being a multi-generational family on mission, we celebrate that in a multitude of ways. We have people doing all kinds of things in the city, in the workplace, and in the neighborhoods, and in the prisons, and all over the place. We're always on mission. Um, but there is one place once a year that we all gather, and it's called World Mandate. And World Mandate is where we gather and re-clarify who we are as a missional people, not just for our own city, but also for our nation and the nation of the earth. And our invitation to the Antioch family, if you consider yourself a part of this family, we want you at World Mandate. So what we've done is this year we've reduced the price to be able to make it work for everyone. So here we go. If you're 16 to 29 years old, it's 40 bucks. That's two meals these days, by the way. And if you're not able to do that, go to your life group and say, man, I want to go, and I'm sure we can get together 40 bucks. If you are 30 and older, since you are an adult with a lot of jobs and opportunity, 30 to 80 years old is $60, all right? That's still a bargain. Everybody's going to be a part of that. You can go to your life group if that's a stretch for you. 
but the 80 plus crowd, we're giving it to you free this year. If you're 80 or older, you're free. We're giving you a front row seat with earplugs. So we want all our 80 plus crowd here for free. And uh, that's, World Mandate is always that space where again, it reawakens us. And again, uh, Laura and I have been a part of World Mandate from the beginning since 1987. Uh, so this will be our 36th year, 37th year, excuse me. Yes, 37th year. And um, uh, every year I need World Mandate. I needed to reawaken my heart and my mind to surrender to Jesus, let alone to open my eyes again to what he's doing around the world. This year we have my friend Sunno Park's gonna be with us. Uh, you guys experienced Sunno a few years ago. He leads YWAM Kona and uh, several Body of Christ initiatives around the world. We have a dear friend, we're calling him Sam Samuelson, not his real name, but he's gonna be with us from Myanmar. And uh, he has done church planting among the poor and the broken. And I'm telling you, if you've heard Jim Yost or Tracy Evans or any of these people that are outside your box, I promise you he's outside your box and he's gonna awaken you to what God's doing among the poor of the earth. We have multitude of other things going on, but you wanna be a part of it. And so whatever it takes to get you here, I want you to get here. Outside the door there, there's a little table. I have the QR code coming up that you can register. But here's what we want practically. If you say, I can't go, then why don't you send somebody? You can go over there, let them know. You can go to our Planning Center app. You can go to Missions. Give 10 bucks, give 20 bucks, give 50 bucks. Do something to either get somebody there, to go yourself, and to pray about being a part of it together. Okay, we good? I've done that in less than 10 minutes. There's the big vision. There's the big invitation, the big ask. And let's get in the word of God. All right, Jeremiah chapter 31. As God has been speaking to us over this years and this arc of realigning uh, ourselves with God's purpose and plan, one of the key scriptures that's emerged is this Jeremiah 31 passage. And over the next two weeks, we're gonna be unpacking these six verses. So here we go. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when it went to find its rest. Verse three, the Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've drawn you with loving kindness. Again, I will build you and you will be rebuilt. O virgin of Israel, again, you will take up your tambourines and go forth to the dances of the merrymakers. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The planters will plant and will enjoy them. For there will be a day when watchmen on the hills of Ephraim call out, arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. Now, for some of you guys, you read that and you're already making the applications and it all makes sense. To others, you're saying, whoa, what in the world are they talking about? How does that apply to my life? But hopefully over the next couple of weeks, we'll unpack that for you. I wanna begin by saying it's the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the one who's called the weeping prophet. He gets this word from God as a young man. God gives him boldness by the Holy Spirit and begins to declare to Israel that they need to repent and return, but he doesn't do it in a condemning way. He does it 
begging them, pleading them. He's cared for you. God has cared for you. God has pursued you. God has made a way for you. Repent, turn from your sin, come back to the Lord. When the middle of his ministry, the Babylonian captivity happens, and all that means is that Israel's sin had become so, uh, um, uh, made them so broken that literally they got overrun by the Babylonian kings who would represent the world, and they literally found themselves in bondage under another ruler. They were meant to be the leaders, and now they were uh, subservient because of their brokenness. And even in their imprisonment, in their brokenness, that famous passage, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. These famous passages, Jeremiah cries out to the, uh, to the Israelites, even, because, even in the midst of getting themselves in their own bondage. Isn't that good? That even, no matter how you got into your prison, God cries out to rescue you from that prison, if you'll simply turn to him. So this is the context, Jeremiah 31, and he's calling out to Israel again in the midst of their bondage, in the midst of the brokenness, and here we go, verse one, he says uh, this, at that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. It says at that time, but everybody say at this time. At this time, God is the head of his people, and he calls us family. From the beginning of creation, God made Adam and Eve. He spoke then to a man named Abraham in Genesis 12 and said, I will make you the father of all the families of the earth. And out of that, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob emerge. A family emerges that becomes Israel. And this family then becomes the focus of God's glory, the focus of God's grace. And he loves them and he cares for them in their rebellion and their sin and their ups and their downs. He has a people for his glory and he continues to pursue them. But out of their brokenness and sin, they are not able to find uh, the grace of God to live out the will of God. And God understood that and knew that. So he had planned ahead of time and he sent Jesus Jesus, literally, who was called immediately upon his arrival, he was called the son of David, the ruling and reigning king. He was called the son of Abraham, the head of the house. And then he would live a perfect life. He would go to the cross and, and allow himself to be uh, crucified so that he would die for your sin and my sin. He rose from the dead. He appeared again over 40 days. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. He ascended to the Father and he sent the Holy Spirit so that now by the power of the Spirit, you can be a son or a daughter of the living God by calling on the name of Jesus. You can be reunited to God's original intent that you would be his children forever. Isn't that beautiful? And then on that last day, when you breathe your last breath, you will stand before God and every tribe, tongue, people, and nation who has called on the name of Jesus. No matter where they came from, no matter what their background, no matter who you are, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will come together and worship at the throne of grace, and we will be one forever and ever and ever, his family for eternity. Woo! This is what he's trying to prophesy, declare. All right, Israel, wake up. You have been made family by the grace of God. On to the next verse, verse two. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword and found grace in the wilderness, Israel, when it went to find its rest. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, you've been made a family by the grace of God. God puts the lonely in families. Come on, Israel. Turn back to the one who betrothed you. Turn back to the one who created you. Turn back to the Father. And then he says this, for those who have survived the sword have found grace in the wilderness. 
Anybody survived the sword out there? If you're alive today, you have survived the sword. I don't know what that sword is for you, what that place of pain. Let me just give you a few painful things that happen in our lives. You could have the loss of a loved one could be devastating for you. A broken family relationship, a betrayal or disappointment or a lack of relationship, a financial loss or disappointment, a a sickness which is debilitating or ongoing. There's a multitude of swords or the way I would say it, things that happen to us. Someone who sinned against us or a circumstance that happened that seemed out of control that has left a vacuum of pain in our lives. And in the midst of the swords that come across our wake in life, God sees and God knows and he comes as the God of all comfort in the middle of our pain. And as we find him as the God of comfort, we begin to have a sense of a way forward even in the midst of the brokenness of life. And we can talk a lot, and we'll pick it back up in a moment, about God meeting us in our pain. But what about us, uh, the sword, but what about falling on our own sword? <laughs> the ones that, the sins that we created, the swords that fell on us because of our sin, not because of someone else's sin. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So we have those disappointments because of things that happened to us, but then we have those disappointments in ourselves. Why did I do that? Why did I fail again? Why can't I get out of this? I keep falling in the ditch over and over again. There's been this deal going around the internet, this little uh, picture that I wanna show you here in a moment and see if you can't relate uh, to this. Let's show it right now. All right. Anybody seen that before? <laughs> Anybody relate to that? <laughs> I found myself in my brokenness. God came by grace. He dragged me out, and I jumped right back in within moments even. Now, I want you to see it again. We're going to watch it again with this, with this thought. If you listen closely, you can hear the other bleeding sheep in the background. The herd is right there. The, the sheep have friends. They have a people to walk with. You can hear the sheep right behind them. That shepherd boy is pulling the sheep out to rescue him. So what does the sheep do? He gets rescued and immediately he runs from the shepherd and the sheep. Anybody do that when you're in pain, right? The opposite is your need. You run to the shepherd and to the sheep because that's where the protection is. So let's watch it again, see if we can relate one more time. <laughs> Hear that? Hear the rest of them? Oh, man, that's so autobiographical. But here's what the scripture says the sword came, either the one that I created or came at me, but those who survived it found grace in the wilderness grace, the love, pleasure, and favor of God towards undeserving people, love and, and grace when we didn't deserve it. Also, the grace of God is the power of God to do the will of God. It's not just the forgiveness that pulls us out, but it's the power to turn back toward the sheepfold and back to the shepherd instead of run off back into our own sin. We have grace that forgives and grace that empowers 
But the key always to grace is humility. We've talked about this many times. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if you are in need of grace, if you are in need of forgiveness and need of a way forward, power of God to do the will of God, or if you're in need uh, uh, in your confusion to hear a clear word to move forward, you need to humble yourself so that you can rightly get under the grace of God and you can listen attentively for the voice of God. Let me give you an example. First Peter 5, um, 5 through 11. I'm going to show you. This is, I've done this before, but this is what I do sometimes. Sometimes I read the Bible like this just to keep me humble, right? Just a heart posture. So here we go. First Peter 5. Therefore, humble yourselves. Oh, excuse me. We'll start in verse 5. And all of you. Everybody say all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility. That's what this is right here. I'm clothing myself with humility. Toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Everybody say, mighty hand of God. Woo, you don't want to lift your head up. You want to get low under the mighty hand of God. That he may exalt you at the proper time. Stay there. Stay low. Stay low until he speaks, until you sense his presence and his leadership. Casting all your anxiety on him, all your anxiety, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone who, to devour. Listen, I can tell you that the devil works off of pride, but he also works when your head's lifted up. If you want to take it into your own business, you literally open yourself up to the work of the enemy. But when you humble yourself to God, you're able to hear his voice. But resist the enemy, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, everybody say the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let it be, Lord. Let it be. Now, that heart posture then gives us a way forward. There's two kind of sides to or pride. One is this uh, self-absorption. You know, you loop on guilt, condemnation. You try to work your own way out of it. And you think you're being humble about it, but it's still obsession with self. There's the insecurity side. There's the arrogant side. I got this. Please don't ever say that. I got this. Don't say that. Just as soon as you say this, I repent. I don't have this. Only God has it. So you have the I got this crowd and you got the looping on me crowd. Insecurity or arrogance, both of those are pride because they're focused on self and not on God. And my encouragement here is... Um, Wherever you are right now in your journey and your need to have God's leadership in your life, humble yourself. And if you find yourself in a relationship that is wrong, somebody who is willfully walking in sin and rebellion to God, if you find yourself um, in a relationship that you need to walk away from, then I want to encourage you, you may need to walk away from it in order to hear God and actually to help out that relationship in the future. The one thing I'm not talking about is the context of marriage. If there's a covenantal bond, we work that through together. But outside the covenantal bond of marriage, I just had this sense this morning in prayer that some of you are, are choosing relationships and friendships and people and things that are in rebellion to God. And God's asking you to walk away from it so that you can find a way forward. And 
believe me, after years of working with people, if you'll walk the way that God has for you, that's your greatest opportunity to rescue your friends who are walking away from him. All right. Verse 3, Jeremiah 31, 3. The Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Wow. What is that everlasting love all about? So Bill, here on the front row, my friend Bill. So uh, Bill, here's, here's the deal. You didn't create yourself. <laughs> God somehow brought your parents together and God said, I need Bill in the earth. And he watched over that seed and he, and he literally shaped you and cared for you and nurtured you and you were born. You were born healthy enough to breathe, healthy enough to develop. And in those fragile early years, God cared for you and watched over you. And when you got to kindergarten and those kids started doing stupid stuff, God still carried you. <laughs> you made it through kindergarten, Bill. You made it through. And you made it through the elementary years when you got to junior high. Wow. God was mad at those people that were doing that stuff to you and he loved you and he cared for you and he even covered you when you were not so nice to other people too, right? So God carried you through junior high. He carried you through high school. He carried you to your first job. He carried you into marriage. Whatever, all those pieces God has carried you and he will carry you all the way to the throne room forever and ever. Everlasting love began in the mind of God Began, was consummated at conception, and then we began the journey of everlasting arms. And when you came to Jesus, it all of the lights turned on. Until you were in Jesus, you were still being carried, but you didn't have a revelation of the love of God. But when you w came to Jesus, you walked through the gate of the house of God, you became a son of the living God, and those everlasting arms that were already sustaining you, now assuredly you can be confident they will carry you all the way to eternity, and then w for eternity you will be in his arms forever and ever. That's everlasting love. That's everlasting arms. You are not here by mistake. You are not just... And it, you are a male or a female created in the image of God, being carried by God through this journey of grace. And when you come to Jesus, it's like the eyes open, the ears open, and you begin to understand what it means to be carried in this life, and that will carry you into eternity forever and ever and ever. Amen. The everlasting love of God. I've loved you. He's speaking to his people. I've loved you with an everlasting love. What began at the beginning of time, I will carry you to the end of time. Loved you with an everlasting love, and I've drawn you with loving kindness. Other versions say, I've, loved, I've drawn you with cords of loving kindness. Uh, I was in here uh, last night uh, praying over the seats, praying over uh, our time together, and uh, walked around all the way up to the back and all through all the aisles just saying, God, come. And I often have this picture in my mind, I've shared with you guys many times, of God throwing a net over the congregation and pulling us first vertical to Jesus into the throne room, and then out of love for one another, creating a net of grace for us to experience his loving kindness. He has drawn us with cords of loving kindness. So we have the everlasting love of God, but this word, loving kindness, is where we get the word hesed, the attached love of God. The compassionate pursuit of God that then allows us to turn and be attached to him rightly. Ultimately, whatever you're attached to is what will lead you. Let me say that again. 
Whatever you, you're attached to, that will lead you. And God himself calls himself a father. And God himself, through Jesus, produces, calls himself Emmanuel, God with us. And then Jesus sends the Holy Spirit so God will be with us always so that we might be rightly attached to him. And out of that attachment and nurture and care, we find grace over our hearts, our affections, our emotions. And we are, when we are rightly um, attentive to him and to our attachment to him and receiving his attachment to us, then we follow him wherever he goes. But until you are willing to allow him to be your all in all, you will not experience the intoxicating power of attachment that he has for you by the Holy Spirit. And if you don't, you'll find yourself over and over again like that sheep running away from him, jumping in the ditch until you find him as the nurture and caregiver of your soul. Jesus calls himself a shepherd, the good shepherd. One of my favorite passages is Matthew 9. He looked on the multitudes with compassion. He looked on you. He looked on me. He looked on you guys online. He looked at all of us. He looks at all of us today with compassion because we're distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. He looks at us as his dear ones, and he compassionately pursues us by grace. That's just still stunning to me. Every day I'm being pursued and loved by God, even in my rebellion, even in my inattentiveness, wherever I am, my confusion, my questions, whatever it is that's going on in my life, God does not change who he is because I am doing something different on the day. Does that make sense? God is consistent. I'm always adjusting, but I want to let him love me and I want to be fully attached to him. In uh, 2020, it was a difficult time for Laura and I specifically, uh, for us it was a place of tremendous pain, greater than we've ever experienced in our lives because a lot of people that we've been attached to uh, were choosing other things. And some, I believe, were God and some maybe brokenness and some maybe sin. But man, we just had conversation after conversation with people that were detaching from us. And that was excruciatingly painful. And uh, Laura and I, in December of 2020, we went on our anniversary, which is December the 20th, and we called it the anniversary from hell. How about that one for an anniversary? Not towards each other. Actually, we were clinging to each other, but we were so overwhelmed with the pain and the loss and the questions and the challenges. And um, this particular evening, we were up till like four in the morning. Neither one of us could sleep, and I just, we just got up and said, all right, God, if we're going to make it, we have to hear from you. What do we do? What do we do with all this pain? What do we do with this loss? What do we do with the things we can't explain? And um, Laura had gotten this scripture from Proverbs 14.10, and I'll paraphrase it. It basically says, says this, each one knows their own bitterness. Who can understand it but God? That's a paraphrase. We all have our own pain that no one understands ultimately but God alone. Yes, we're there for each other. I live by the grace of God and living in community. We need each other in our marriage. I need the body of Christ. I need my life group. I need this church. We receive a grace upon grace by being in community. That's what supports us and sustains us. And at the same time, there's certain areas in my life that you'll never be able to meet my need. There's certain areas that are reserved only for God. And so when we spend our energy trying to be understood and then bitter at everyone who doesn't meet our need, 
we end up missing the grace of God in an intimacy that he's inviting us into that he has already provided for. Let me say it another way. I'll just use a marriage illustration. For years, I was just trying to get Laura to understand me. If, we could just, if she could just understand me, if I could just talk a little bit more about my need, then eventually this will take care of everything. Nobody's laughing. All right, come on. So our Lord is the same way. One more time. Let's take it one more time. We've been married 35 years. One more time around the horn to be understood. But here's the deal. What I realized is there's certain things about me she'll never understand. She's not God. She's a gift of God. She's the grace of God. She's a gift to me, but she's not God. So I got to be able to go to God with even the things that she doesn't understand and quit blaming her for what she's not meeting the need of me. Does that make sense? And then I flipped the script and I thought, what if I wake up saying, God, you understand and know all things, even what the needs she can't meet. What if I try to meet her needs by the grace of God instead of being obsessed with my needs? Wow, we actually have a great marriage. So, right? Because everybody is going to be great if somebody's loving them, right? So this thing can work beautifully when we're not in it for ourselves, but we're in it for other people. And when we find ourselves in pain or rejection or loss or fear, we say, God, here's the stuff I can't explain. Here are the needs. Come meet my needs. I'm not going to blame anyone. I'm forgive everybody and bless everybody. Now open my eyes how I can serve someone else and love them in your name and pour grace over them. Uh, God spoke to me uh, actually this past month I was going into a difficult meeting with someone to try to resolve a conflict. And I said, God, what, what do I do? What do I say? And the Lord said, he said, hey, let's go cover some sin. Let's just go cover some sin. Come on, join me. Let's cover some sin. The perfect love of God covers our sin. All right, don't know if we've connected there. What I'm trying to say, you guys, is the Loving kindness of God, the Hesed love of God, has been made available through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, you're going to have to cry out to God to meet your needs. And you're going to have to cry out to God to be able to servant for other needs. All right. The last little phrase here, the first of 31, verse 4, it says, And you shall be built and rebuilt, says the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Built and rebuilt. So if I come under the grace of God, if I come into the loving kindness of God, let him love me, let him care for me, if I cry out to God and begin to enter into the love of God to serve others, and it says I'll be built and rebuilt. So here's the deal, you guys. I got saved in 1981. That was 42 years ago. I'm gonna be 60 years old next month. That's a crazy sentence to say that sentence. But I'm gonna be 60 years old next year, and I am being built and rebuilt this year. I am being built and rebuilt by the grace of God. And I am so excited. I, I truly am. This is not what I should say. It's what I believe in my very bones. You can ask Laura. I am being built and rebuilt. I am so thrilled about what's coming this year because Jesus is offering me an invitation of grace. And he's offering it to you too. Amen. So let me wrap our time with a story some of you are familiar with. Uh, I ran into this story maybe 15 years ago. It's a story of a guy named Dick Hoyt and his son, Ricky. Um, Ricky Hoyt was born to Dick and Judy Hoyt in 1962 in Massachusetts. And Ricky was born with a disease they called spastic quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. And that word spastic was not a 
a critic, crit, critiquing word. It was literally just the spasms in his muscles were uncontrollable. And so he was a quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. And from the beginning, the doctor said, he's not going to live a normal life. Put him in an institution because he'll just uh, slowly die and um, you won't want to be burdened by him. Well, of course, as parents, that made him rise up and say, absolutely not. We're going to love him. We're going to care for him. They loved him, cared for him, nurtured him. And they could see in his eyes that he had uh, a sharp intellect, that he could track with them and follow him, but he couldn't communicate and so they tried to get him into school, and they wouldn't, uh, the schools wouldn't take him. They didn't have the ability to, to care for him, but they kept advocating that the schools would make a way for Ricky. So in 1972, at 10 years old, they, got, they were in Massachusetts area. Some MIT engineers got together and created a system where Ricky could punch letters and communicate. So as soon as they figured that out, they, Ricky uh, punched in these letters, and you would think, hello, mom, hello, dad, but what he punched in was go Bruins. The Boston Bruins is a hockey team that was doing really well at the time, and his dad would bring him alongside to watch sporting events, and he had picked it all up. He was sharp. He was clear, and he began to communicate in so many different ways. Well, eventually, then he would go to high school. They would take him into the high school. He would graduate from college. He would get his master's in special education. And he was not only sharp intellectually, but he was a gift to the world. Well, in the middle of that uh, journey, um, there was a young man in the Boston area that had had a, an accident. He was a lacrosse player. And he had become a quadriplegic. And they were doing a 5K run uh, fundraiser. And Ricky communicates in his uh, little typing way, Dad, I want to run the race. Dad said, Ricky, you can't run the race. And he said, oh, yes, we can. And so Dad figured out what he was asking. Hey, come on, Dad, let's run the race together. And so um, Dick Hoyt got this little stroller thing that he could run with. And they ran the 5K. And then they began to run a 10K and do different races. And and Ricky said this way, he said, Dad, when we run, I don't feel handicapped anymore. And so Dad said, well, then let's run. Well, they kept on running and doing different things. And then Ricky began to chide Dad a little bit. Hey, how about us swim together? And so Rick, Rick, uh, Dick Hoyt figured out, I can put him in a raft and put a harness on it and I can swim with him. He said, let's ride a bike together. And he created this little apparatus where he could put Ricky in the front and they could ride together. They began to do triathlons. Well, then the pen ultimate was they were watching an Iron Man on TV, and he said, Dad, I want to do an Iron Man. <laughs> and if you guys know what the Iron Man uh, triathlon is, it is one of those once-in-a-lifetime things for people, and it's a, a 2.4-mile swim in the ocean. It's a 112-mile bike, and then it's a 26.2-mile run. And you start in the morning, and you got to finish before noon, midnight Excuse me, to have finished the race. It's an all-day deal. So they train, really Dick trains and carries Ricky along. And in 1989, they're at the Ironman Triathlon in Hawaii. It was picked up by all the news stations and they went through all the paces. And as they come across the finish line, the announcer comes on, announces their number, and they said, finishers of the Ironman 1989 Ironman Triathlon, Dick and Ricky Hoyt, let's give it up. They finished this race together. And um, the celebration went on. You see champagne bottles and all this stuff going off as they're celebrating them. But I don't know if you understood, but, but uh, Ricky didn't do anything. <laughs> he submitted. He went with it. He was on the bike, 
but he was carried all the way through it. That story so deeply touched me years ago because I realized I'm Ricky. I don't know about you. I'm the sheep. Maybe you're not, but I am. I'm that sheep. I'm Ricky. My testimony is God has carried me. Lord's in my testimony is God has carried us. The testimony of this church and this movement is God has carried us. And by the grace of God, we've humbled ourselves just enough for him to be able to be himself that he might be glorified. But we've all just been carried, you guys. And when we're in touch with that, we just lay on the ground and we say, carry us again, oh God, we are yours. I want to take you into that race that they did for you to view it yourself. And as you watch it, may you let God minister to you his great grace for you. Who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? And who told the ocean you can only come this far And who showed the moon Where to hide till evening Whose words alone can catch a falling star Well I know my redeemer
together, if you can, after all the tears. Our Redeemer lives. He has carried us. He will carry us. If you're hearing the sound of my voice and you don't know Jesus, you don't know the carrying hand of God, I want to take you to him right now in prayer. If you do know Jesus, I want to ask you just to close your eyes and let him love you right now. Let him reassure you. Let the weight of your sin and your guilt and your shame and your fear and your anxiety just be dropped again into his arms. Let him speak to you his loving kindness and his care for you. And as the Holy Spirit leads, you just pray. Pray for every person, the sound of our voice that doesn't know Jesus to come and every prodigal to come home. We love you, Jesus. You're our Redeemer. You're our Redeemer. You've saved us, and you will save us. You've carried us, and you will carry us. You're hearing the sound of my voice. You need Jesus. Pray this simple prayer, Lord Jesus. Just call out to him, Lord Jesus. Tell him you need him. I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Ask for his forgiveness right now. Forgive me of my sins. Now we declare who he is. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you made a way to the Father just for me. Just pray it with me. So I come. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I can't do it anymore. I need a Savior. I need you, Jesus, to come and save me. And Lord, every person who's calling on your name right now, you say, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Lord, we're asking, let salvation spring up and the joy that goes with it. So we're here in this moment. Your eyes are closed. We have our prayer teams. Come on up quickly. Be available. If you're in one of those broken relationships that you need to walk away from, to walk to Jesus, to be able to find grace, man, come and get prayer. If you just need to come get on your knees, come with a friend or a family member or someone and just come and get before God. If you need prayer physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, you need to reach out and let somebody love you and care for you and pray for you in the name of Jesus. That's what we're here for. It's a very powerful song they're going to sing right now called Come to the Table. Let it minister to you. Let it wash over you. And as we do that, just let God's grace abound right now.